Good morning. Uh, my name's Tony. I'm going to be reading the scripture passage that Pastor Mike's going to be preaching from this morning. It's from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, and it's on page 834 in the Pew Bible if you want to read along. I'll give you a second to turn there. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is God's word. Okay, if I'm correct, children that are four years old, is it up to first grade? You may go back, Kira is back there, children's lesson at this time and for all the rest of us we're in here okay my name's Michael Aiken I can actually see you this morning sometimes I come up here and I feel like you know the lights on you it's like where you been you know like you're you're interrogated being interrogated that's how bright it is but good to see you this morning and let's pray let's go to the Lord in prayer Lord as we just sang you're an awesome God, and your love is amazing, and we ask you, Lord, to open our eyes to see your great love for us, and I pray for your, your people here this morning that you would bring them encouragement, Lord, uh, conviction where, where there needs to be correction, and uh, we just thank you that we can run to you, that you are a merciful God. As we turn to you, Lord, we, we give you all the credit that we turn to you. It's your grace alone that has brought us to yourself. And we thank you, Lord, that you will continue to work in us, that you will finish the good work that you have begun in us until the day of Jesus Christ. So we look to you, Lord, and we pray that you would now open our eyes to see the things that you want us to see from your word and that you would receive the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I know this is not an exercise you want to do right now, but have you ever just stood on one leg and tried to do that? Kids, can you relate to this? You know, there's probably a game that you can do. It's real easy to lose your balance when you're only on one leg leg. You need, it's nice to have two legs, you have balance, you're able to do life, you're able to walk and run. Things we take for granted. This morning we're going to look at a passage here in John chapter 2 
And I think, uh, as I heard Tony correctly, it's page 834 in the, uh, the Pew Bible. We're going to look at this, and it's going to possibly challenge our view of Jesus. And so the question I'm going to ask you this morning is, do you have a balanced view of Jesus? We hear it said, Jesus is gentle, he's meek, he's mild, he's compassionate, he's gentle and lowly, like the book. And and that is a proper, if that's the view you have of Jesus, that's a proper view of Jesus. But as we look to Scripture, we see that it is not the only view that there is of Jesus. And so as we look at today's passage in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, I believe we may get a jolt. We may be surprised by what we see when we look at Jesus here. As you look at the ESV Bible, it's entitled, Jesus Cleanses the Temple. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us? for doing these things. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. There are two things that I want you to see this morning in this scripture passage in John's gospel. The first is this, why is Jesus cleansing the temple? That's the first thing I want you to see. So it's in a question. Why is Jesus cleansing the temple? The second thing I want you to see in the form of a question is, what is the significance of Jesus cleansing the temple? So let's look at the first one. This is our roadmap for our message today. Why is Jesus cleansing the temple? In verse 13, we see that Jesus is zealous about worshiping God. What the verse says is this. This is the whole verse right here. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. That's all it says. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jesus is an example of a zeal, of an eagerness to worship God with the people of God, the Jewish people. 
The Passover was the great feast where the Jewish nation remembered that God saved them from the cruel slavery of the Egyptians. God told each household to kill a lamb and to put its blood around the the door frames of each house. And that the death angel would pass over each house where the blood was applied. Remember that the death angel was to kill the firstborn throughout the land of Egypt. And for each household where the blood would be applied, this story is found in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 27. The Jewish nation, so that when the death angel came through, he passed over where he saw the blood. And that's what the Passover means. And so the Jewish nation was to remember each year. And they would come to Jerusalem each year where the temple was to celebrate the Passover. Jesus went up to Jerusalem because he was zealous about worship. Are you and I zealous about worship? Is it an inconvenience for you to gather with God's people every Sunday and so you skip it? Is worshiping God with God's people a priority for you? The writer to the Hebrews said it this way, and let us consider one another, let us consider, excuse me, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. I italicize those words here. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord drawing near. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Worship was a priority for Jesus. And so we're thinking of this question, why did Jesus cleanse the temple? And as we continue to look closely at this passage, we see that not only did Jesus want worship to occur for God's people, and not only was he zealous for it, but he also wanted this worship to be pure. And I believe this gets to the heart of the first question. Why did Jesus cleanse the temple? And the answer is found in verses 14 through 16. It says this, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. And the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords. Boy, doesn't that stand out? Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers. You can just see that happening. And he overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Why did Jesus chase all the animals and the people out of the temple with a whip of cords? We cannot sugarcoat this, can we? Jesus was angry. And he did not sin in his anger in doing this. The picture we get of Jesus here is a firm and stern one. He's a man's man, not a coward, not afraid, And I believe often our view of Jesus is weak and wimpy. 
He's not someone you would choose to be on your pickup football team. That is the weak and wimpy Jesus which doesn't exist. But often I think people have this picture of Jesus that is like that. And you wouldn't want this nerdy Jesus to be on your football team or your softball team. But that's not the Jesus we see here. And it's not the Jesus that we have. I do like what um, Dane Ortland says in Gentle and Lowly. And if you want to do a little bit more of a study of this on righteous anger... I know it's a, it's a sermon and many sermons in and of itself, but in pages 108 to 112 of the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, you'll find a lot of good fodder there to chew on on the subject of righteous anger. He does a wonderful job there. Ortland does say this that I want to bring out here, and this will help us to get to the heart of why Jesus is cleaning out the temple He says this, Ortland does, about righteous anger, and he's showing how when you have a love for something, this is the quote, it is a father who loves his daughter most, whose anger rises most fiercely if she is mistreated. Jesus' love for pure worship is why he is so angry. Jesus was angry and used a whip to chase the animals and the people out because they were in the court of the Gentiles. Probably that's where they were, the outer court, where non-Jewish people, Gentiles, could come near to learn about Israel's God. Jesus, this is another point that I love that Ortland brings out here. He overturned the tables because he was angry that these men had overturned the purpose of the temple. So the overturners are not Jesus. Jesus does overturn the tables, but the real overturners are those who were selling and those who were exchanging money in the temple. But you might say, wait a minute, Mike. These people were doing a good service for the pilgrims coming to Jerusalem to worship God during the Passover. Yeah. I'll grant you that. And you might say, it was impractical for them to bring their animals for sacrifice from afar, and most of those animals were rejected by the priest anyway. Yeah, I agree with you there too. And you could buy your animal for sacrifice there in the temple. How convenient. Also, a worshiper had to pay a temple tax every year, a half shekel. And it had to be in a certain currency called a Tyrian coin. This Tyrian coin was of pure silver. It was the only thing accepted in the temple. You and I get this, don't we? We understand the exchanging of money. When we go to another country, we have to get our currency exchanged one way or another, whether it's done electronically or physically. We all, if we've traveled, understand this. And we pay an exchange rate as well. We don't have a problem with that. We understand that. Jesus was not angry, get this now, Jesus was not angry about this particular activity in itself. But he was angry that it was being done in the temple. That's the point I want you to see. That's the point of the passage here with the anger. It was being done in the Gentile court, which meant there was not enough room for the Gentiles to come and worship God. It wasn't designated for selling. 
It was for people to worship God. The nation was to show, or excuse me, the nation, Israel was to show the nations who their God was, the living God. It was never meant to be just for them. It was meant the message of God was meant for everybody, the whole world. And they were to show the world this living God. And what they were doing was not welcoming to the Gentile worshipers. It was thinking little of them and of their need for God. This good practical activity to help the worshipers who came from far away needed to be done where? Outside of the temple. Jesus wants the temple to be what God intended it to be, a place of worship where only worship occurs. The temple was not where the selling of animals for sacrifice or the exchange of money for a temple tax is to, is to occur. Jesus is being zealous about pure worship. And so I ask this question, are you zealous, not only about worship, but also pure worship, meaning Pure worship is worship that is in keeping with God's word. It is regulated by the word of God. And this is called the regulative principle. Verse 17 then tells us that his disciples remembered that it was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. That's the quote. And it's taken from Psalm 69.9. And it referred to King David but ultimately, it referred to David's greater son, Jesus, the Messiah, who is zealous for God's house, which means he deeply cares about God alone being worshipped as he's prescribed in his word, the Bible. Now, there were other Old Testament passages that were fulfilled on this day as well. And one of those is the last verse of Zechariah which is the second to the last book in the Old Testament. It says this in chapter 14, very last verse, very last part of the verse. This is how the Zechariah ends. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Malachi chapter 3, 1, 2, and 3. We read that for our confession of sin here this morning. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. The Lord is coming to his temple. And there will be a cleansing and a cleaning. So we have just asked the question, why was Jesus cleansing cleansing or cleaning the temple? The quick answer is this. Jesus was zealous for the pure worship of God, and he didn't want the temple used for anything but worship. Now we come to the last question. The last question we're asking is this. What is the significance of Jesus cleansing the temple? And this is found in verses 18 through 22. After Jesus cleanses the temple, the Jews come to Jesus and asked, 
What sign do you show us for doing these things? These Jews were the Jewish authorities, and they had the right to ask Jesus this question. Now, I'm going to say this. They were not repentant, but they did have a right to ask. And here's what they're basically asking in this question. Who are you? Who are you to be cleansing out the temple? Who gave you the authority to do such a thing? Are you the Messiah, basically, is what they're asking? And they asked Jesus for a sign, which is a miracle. And this is what they're asking him now. What sign are you going to give us? And really, in one sense, he's already given them a sign. Just the cleaning out of the temple was a sign in itself. No mere man could do that. Think about it. There was no uproar, no authorities called. He cleans out the temple. And we'll see that he, this is done at the beginning of his ministry. We're going to see there's another cleansing at the end of his ministry, the last week of his life before he dies for our sins. But notice here that Jesus, in being asked this question, doesn't give them a direct answer. They were not deserving of a clear, direct answer. The religious authorities knew better. And as you read the Gospels, you will notice that Jesus is sterner with those who are the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this is actually why Jesus speaks in parables. You'll see this in Matthew chapter 13 if you want to see why the parables were given. Matthew 13 verses 10 through 17 They are given because basically clear teaching has been rejected by the religious leaders. Therefore, he's now going to speak with illustration, with stories. Uh, A parable is a earthly story that gives a heavenly truth. So the answer that Jesus gives is this. What sign will you show us, Jesus? What miracle? And he says, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said this. Wait a minute, pal. It's taken 46 years to build this temple. (laughs) And you're going to raise it up in three days. They're, They're basically saying, Jesus, you're being ridiculous. This temple's taken 46 years to build. Up to this point, actually, it continues to be built. Did you know that? This happens in somewhere around 27, 28 AD. It continues to be built up to about 63 AD. And then do you know what happens? Seven years later, it's destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And notice that Jesus doesn't say he will destroy the temple. Jesus didn't say he would destroy the temple, but during his trial before his crucifixion, Jesus was falsely accused of saying that he would destroy the temple and raise it up in three days. That's not true. He did not say he would destroy it, but he said, you destroy the temple and I will raise it up in three days. But they took, the religious leaders did, they took his answer to refer to the physical temple But Jesus was referring to what? And we learn this as we read here. He was was referring to his physical body. 
I tell you what, that, that causes us to pause, doesn't it? When you read the Bible, you think, oh, I think I understand this clearly. If I would have been there at that time, I would have said, yeah, that's ridiculous too. I, I can't believe that. I would have thought he thought, we're in the temple. I thought that's what he would have been referring to. But what is Jesus saying here? So let's, we're going to get here to the deeper meaning. Jesus is saying that he is the authority over the temple. Just as he is the authority over the church, which is not a building. It's the people of God. But the deeper meaning that Jesus is telling us, and get this, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Jesus is the temple. That's what he's telling us. That's what he's telling these authorities. He is the temple. Jesus' body replaces the temple. We get hints of this already in the Gospel of John. John 1.14 said, The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. That word dwelled among us, tabernacled among us. And the tabernacle was that portable temple, that place where God would meet with his people. Jesus, there's a hint already there that he is the temple, the tabernacle. And then in verse 41 of chapter 1 of John, it talks about Jacob's ladder there, that stairway between heaven and earth, and Jesus is that stairway. He is that mediator. And if you remember with Jacob's vision, Bethel, what is Bethel? The house of God. And then in chapter 4 of John, later on, we're going to see the Samaritan woman. In verse 21 of John chapter 4, Jesus says, Worship's not going to occur in Jerusalem or any place. They were debating whether, whether, where it's going to be. It's going to be in no particular place. It's going to occur in the hearts of people where the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The significance of Jesus cleansing the temple was that his death was a sacrificial death for all sinners who would believe in him for their salvation. That's the good news. The sacrifices offered at the temple were temporary. They were necessary and temporary. They were a shadow which pointed to the substance which was Jesus Christ. The letter to the Hebrews tells us that Christ's sacrifice was what? Once for all. Not to be repeated and that it ends the need for the sacrifices in the temple, which were continued to be offered until it was destroyed in 70 AD. And you'll see in Hebrews, that particular passage that I was referring to is Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26 through 28. But now that the Messiah has come, who is the Lamb of God, our Passover, he came as the Lamb to die for our sins, and there is no more need for the temple. The temple always pointed to Jesus in his perfect sacrifice on the cross. And to the worshipers under the old covenant, their sins were truly forgiven when they confessed and offered a sacrifice. That's a question I get off. Not often, but once in a while I've been asked that question. And the answer is yes, they really did get real forgiveness then. Why were they forgiven? Because that sacrifice was pointing to Jesus whose blood did take away their sins. They may not have understood that specifically, but they knew that's what God required them to do in the Old, Old Covenant, Old Testament. And so my question for us this morning is this. 
for you? Have you come to the true temple, Jesus, the Lamb of God for the forgiveness of your sins? Maybe you've initially already come to him. We continue to come to him, not to be saved again, but to receive joy and to receive forgiveness or relational forgiveness. And are you looking to him alone and his shed blood for your justification to be declared to be declared righteous before God? And are you looking to him to Jesus for your propitiation? That is to be have the wrath of God satisfied. He is our propitiation against the wrath of God. I love how the hymn says it. There is a fountain filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath the flood and lose all their guilty stains. There is salvation in no other but Jesus. Have you come to the cross of Jesus for your forgiveness and right standing before God? I'd like you, if you would, and this is one passage that I would like you to turn to. It's in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. These are great passages. We're going to see justification here and also propitiation. It says this in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by the grace, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Remember, the word propitiation means an appeasement of God's wrath. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Last week, Pastor David preached on the miracle at Canaan, at the wedding. And we saw Jesus' extravagant grace, and he provided, Jesus did abundantly, for the married couple who ran out of wine. And that was the first sign. And we saw that Jesus will give us eternal joy and that we will feast with Jesus for all eternity as his bridegroom. Jesus lavishly provides Today we see Jesus as a lion and a lamb. As a lion, he is cleaning out the temple with a whip. And as the lamb, he is the sacrifice for all our sins. And in him alone is our right standing with God. We meet with God now in the new temple, which is Jesus. That's where we meet with God, through his spirit. Jesus is the temple. In verse 22, John tells us this, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. 
We see there the death of Jesus. He, he is the temple that was destroyed. But we also see he raised it up in three days. Jesus' body is the temple that was destroyed by sinful men and brought back to life by him in three days. The Old Testament spoke of this. They believed the scripture. What verse may you ask? Maybe Psalm 16, verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to shield or, or let your Holy One see corruption. Peter mentioned this on the day of Pentecost in the sermon. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate proof that he, Jesus, is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. This is the good news we are to shout out on the rooftops. And John has written these things to us about Jesus that we would believe and trust in him alone for our salvation. And so I close with these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Next week, if my memory is correct, Pastor Ben will be preaching on John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, which ends John chapter 2. Jesus knows what is in man is what that message will be. Let's pray as the band comes forward. Lord, we thank you that you, Lord Jesus, as we speak to you this morning, as you are present here with us today, that you are the new temple you are the ultimate sacrifice that's already been given. And we now look back and we thank you that all our sins are cleansed by your blood. Lord, just help us to just adore you for who you are and for your great love that you died for us, the undeserving. And we thank you for that. May we continue to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.